I'm Melanie Ho, author of Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity and What Organizations Are Up Against. It's a different kind of business book based in research, but told as a novel and designed to spark discussion and change about gender equity in the workplace. Thank you for joining this discussion as my co-host Carla Hickman and I talk about the challenges that women continue to face at work that are too often only discussed behind closed doors. Welcome to episode eight. It is hard to believe that we have made it to the final episode of the first season of Beyond Leaning in the podcast. By this point, I hope you know that this is Carla Hickman, and I am joined, as always, by Melanie Ho, the author of Beyond Leaning In. Way back in the very first episode, Melanie, when we introduced the novel and we talked about the purpose of this podcast, you told us that the novel was intended to do two things. It was to spark discussion and to spark change. And I certainly have appreciated all the different voices and perspectives that have joined us on our preceding episodes. It's been incredible how diverse those perspectives are and the different concepts and takeaways they've had from reading and engaging with the book. But today in this episode, I want to talk about the second part. How are you thinking about Beyond Leaning In and your broader ambitions as helping to spark change? Well, to begin with, Beyond Leaning In is what I see as the inaugural or first initiative of my company, Strategic Imagination. And I feel weird saying the word company because that sounds so bureaucratic. I think of the strategic imagination as my mission. And what I mean by strategic imagination is that when organizations or individuals are stuck, they're running up against walls, they're trying to make big changes, whether that's strategic or organizational or cultural. And need different approaches, I think that's where we can bring in the tools of the imaginative arts, whether that's fiction, like Beyond Leaning In, a business book written as a novel, or the use of comics or theater as a way to help people get unstuck, to be able to think in the new ways that they need to do. It couldn't be a more important time from my vantage when you think about what organizations are up against, right? Very difficult to think of an industry or a sector who isn't making some fairly significant strategic organizational changes right now. I think part of that was true before the pandemic. It was the fact that, you know, technological changes are speeding up. Competition is getting fiercer. There's major demographic and generational shifts that are taking place here in the United States and around the globe. It's forcing all organizations to really question their business processes. And then layer on top of that, the demands for cultural change, the fact that diversity, equity, and inclusion are not simply the training that you host every year or so. It needs to really become the way that we interact and engage. Organizations are just under so much pressure right now. I think it's not an accident that in the last decade or so, a number of Fortune 500 companies, whether Lowe's or Boeing or Nike, have started hiring science fiction writers to help them with future visioning. One of my favorite stories is the one of Lowe's, the hardware store, not the hotel chain. And the story of their transformation, it's articulated beautifully in this book called Leading Transformation. And what the authors there talk about is Lowe's as a company that in 2012 was really struggling. 
They were running hard to stay in second place to Home Depot. They were closing stores. They were having to do layoffs. And if you asked any Lowe's leaders at the time why that was, they would say that they were really stuck in incrementalism that it was hard for a lot of folks in the organization to see, as it is hard for many people to see beyond what was right in front of them. And so they did this really creative thing based on research in brain science and management science and just a lot of different disciplines, ended up hiring science fiction writers and comic book artists to help them figure out the future of Lowe's. And my favorite part of that is that they had a comic book artist take all the work from the science fiction writers who were given just reams of research. Here's the data on customers and technology trends and all of that. But they turned it into a story, a story of a young couple who had bought an old house. They loved it. They loved its history, but it was falling apart and they were trying to figure out how to renovate it and they couldn't articulate their vision to the contractor. And so in this comic book, the artist depicted this couple going into a Lowe's and putting on the AR glasses and suddenly being able to see their home renovated and of course buy all the products they needed from Lowe's. And Six years later, Lowe's was suddenly on the cover of Fast Company and really seen as an innovator. And that happened because they were able to unlock the power of science fiction and of, of the arts of comics. I love that example because it is incredibly creative, but it also shows how we sometimes need to step outside of ourselves. They're not sitting in a boardroom in front of a whiteboard. They're not crunching numbers in an Excel spreadsheet. They're trying something different, sort of brush off that pull towards incrementalism. What are some of the other creative or imaginative arts that can help different organizations or individuals, whether that's a business like Lowe's, a huge Fortune 500, or if it's public or social sectors? Yeah, my goal with strategic imagination is really to map out different imaginative arts tools to different organizational needs. Science fiction writers make sense when you're trying to future vision. It might not necessarily make sense for other organizational goals. I think the tools of narrative and storytelling, why I wrote Beyond Leaning In as a novel and a novel from the point of view of seven different characters was to build empathy, to show that these characters are interrelated. And when it comes to some of the challenges that we face, especially related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, where that empathy is really important, that showing the system is really important, that's to me the power of a novel. I love the tools of improv for agility or flexibility or just thinking more openly. And where I'm spending a lot of time lately is on drawing in comics and thinking about just the act of drawing when you have a crayon in your hand instead of a whiteboard marker or you know, even worse, a laptop. What can that drawing activate for creative thinking and how can that even help with more candid discussion on difficult topics? I love how interdisciplinary all of this is, right? It pulls and relies on multiple different disciplines and facets and ways of thinking. There's no single approach to problem solving here. Absolutely. I think the problems that we're facing today, I love the phrase wicked problems. We think about the challenges facing organizations, facing society today. And the thing is that Complex problems require complex solutions, and they require that we pull from every single tool we can find. And that's why, as we talked about in a previous episode, I'm really fascinated by the fact that psychologists, when they've looked into how fiction can build empathy, realized that it's not just any fiction, it's not detective fiction or crime fiction or anything really plot-based, but actually what's often called literary fiction, fiction that gets you into the interiority of your characters 
is what we really need to help people build empathy, but also help people realize within themselves what are their own psychological barriers that are making it challenging for them to accept change or to be bolder thinkers or to envision bigger changes for themselves or their organizations. And you've shared with me before that in sitting down to write Beyond Leaning In, you took inspiration, even going back as far as high school, on how there were these important works of fiction, novels that many of us read throughout our education that helped us to understand the need for societal change, that allowed you to walk in the shoes of a person on a factory floor or to understand through Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, the climate change and environmental awareness, right? These aren't easy concepts to understand and novels and characterization gives us a way in to really appreciate those challenges in new ways. When I was in high school, I was fascinated by, you mentioned Silent Spring, also Upton Sinclair's The Jungle or Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, these books that were known as really driving social change at the time and helping expose people to different issues. When I got to my undergraduate career at UCLA, I wanted to keep actually studying this, this idea of how can novels, which are sometimes thought of as art and sometimes thought of as entertainment, but rarely thought of as written to create change, how could the novel be something that helped people shift their mindset? And I changed majors about 12 times in my first two years. I would try to talk to for example, literature professors about this. And they'd say, well, that's interesting, but that's not the goal of a novel. And I would talk to policy professors and they would say, well, that's interesting, but that's not what we study in policy studies. I ended up designing my own major that brought together literature, film, media, communication, sociology, psychology, because it felt like that was really the only way I could try to figure out how to unlock what the arts, whether fiction or film or others, could do to help people think about these different kinds of topics. I have my professional life in consulting for higher education. I'm often researching or talking about the value of the arts generally compared to the more technical skill sets. And you and I both have had many discussions on how frustrating that narrative has become, that people see those two concepts as mutually exclusive, that you have to either choose the liberal arts or technical skill development, when in actuality, given the complexity that we are facing as a society and the kinds of demands that are placed on individuals to synthesize vast amounts of information quickly, to make snap decisions, to relate to people from all walks of life, You need both. And it actually takes me all the way back, not just to higher ed, but to K-12. Think about how many public school districts across the country are cutting their arts programs, that funding for these fundamental foundational skills and disciplines are being taken out of even elementary schools. And maybe we need to be talking to policymakers and parents and leaders about how foundational this is to the bigger organizational changes down the road individuals are going to need to make. I think it's interesting that there's often so much debate, not just around liberal arts as a concept, but even the phrase that liberal arts has gotten associated with liberal politics, when actually the idea of a liberal education, I won't mispronounce the Greek word that this is based on, but the root of liberal education is in the word that means freedom. And the idea was coming from ancient Greece, was that you needed this well-rounded education that included the arts because that was what differentiated free citizens. And that was gaining the knowledge and the skills that they needed to make decisions on behalf of society. That was what, in essence, qualified you to be able to make the decisions of a free citizen. 
come for the talk about novel and we get a quick history lesson to boot. I love it. (laughs) You know, we've said this before, but Beyond Leaning In is just the start. This is the first initiative of strategic imagination. How are you using the imaginative arts and some of the work that you're already engaging in with individuals or organizations? Well, I'm always excited to work with organizations who are realizing that this is a moment where they need to engage in change in a completely different way and they need new tools to do so and need new tools to think about leadership, to think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I'm working with a number of organizations on using, for example, comics and drawing to think in different ways. And we talked about how in the month of March, which was right around the time this podcast started, that you were actually creating a comic every day and posting to various social channels. And I have really enjoyed seeing how much engagement engagement those comics have had. And even as an early reader and certainly as a listener to this podcast, helped me to just think about the concepts from the novel in new ways. Where'd you get the inspiration for drawing? Where did that stem from? You know, I'm someone who's always doodled across my life, but probably never somebody who would have thought of myself as sharing my art in any way. I think I got in my head that I was an okay artist. I was the kind of person who got props in art class, but not somebody who could be public about my art in any way, except maybe posting on Instagram if I went to a paint and sip night. Right before the pandemic, I had the opportunity to hear a talk and attend a workshop by a woman named Linda Berry. She is a MacArthur genius. She's a professor at UW-Madison, and she works with a wide variety of folks, business people, NASA scientists, educators, on using drawing in different ways. And what she said that really stuck with me was that, first of all, we're all told as kids that we can't draw and get it in our heads then. But also what she says is that you can think of drawing as drawing in order to create art that goes up in a a frame in a museum, or you can actually think of drawing in a different way, which is just drawing as a way to free your mind and to think more creatively and think differently, that drawing is thinking. I was just going to say, you've gone from those comics then and then that source of inspiration to creating workshops for employers, for organizations. And I've said before, there are a few perks to being the friend of the novelist. One is that I actually had Melanie come and you hosted a workshop for my leadership team, for my team at work called Reimagine Workplace Equity Through Comics. And so I got to see and and experience one of your workshops. And I will say, I found it really exciting to see how my team responded to that type of exercise and discussion differently than other DEI trainings we've done at work. So I would encourage everyone, go to Melanie's website. You can learn a lot more about Reimagine Workplace Equity through comics and her other workshops. But Melanie, quickly, what are the top line goals for folks who might be interested? My hope is really to help people understand the power of comics, again, to do things that are beyond just drawing. So in March, as you mentioned earlier, I was drawing a comic every day and posting them on Instagram, really based on scenes in Beyond Leaning In, showing real life challenges related mostly to gender equity, but actually also equity more broadly at work. And as I was doing so, I was also reflecting on all the ways that diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations in workplaces often fall short of expectations. At the beginning of workshops, I always ask folks, okay, you've heard that there's going to be a DEI discussion at your workplace. What is the range of emotions that you feel? And there's hope and optimism and sometimes even relief because people want to talk about these topics and they're glad that these conversations are happening. But that is usually paired with 
skepticism and fear and trepidation. And that's because there are so many emotionally charged topics and they're complex topics by which we can often feel guilt or defensiveness or fear or shame or relive traumas, depending on your situation as you come in or multiple complex emotions all at the same time. And I've only listed, I don't know, five I just said, but there's probably dozens of complex, difficult, often conflicting emotions that happen in a diversity, equity, and inclusion training that are very hard to deal with in the moment. I think I also often hear frustrations that sometimes these discussions get very focused on the individual level. How is it that bias can hurt an individual? And that's really important, but we don't often get into enough detail about how bias can hurt organizations beyond some vague statistics. So I think of my workshops as using the power of comics, as using the power of the arts to accomplish three things. First, to give us new tools, ways to discuss emotionally charged and complicated topics. Second, this workshop in particular, and there's a three-minute preview video of it on my website folks can watch, but this workshop in particular is about reflecting on all the different ways that workplace bias can hurt organizations. What is the larger business or organizational impact? And then third, we use drawing as a way to start envisioning next steps to improve equity at work. I think often what I hear from folks is that they're tired of hearing the same quick win solutions, whack-a-mole solutions to DEI and want to be able to think more creatively. And so like the Lowe's folks with their comics and the AR glasses, my hope is that participants are able to use that power of drawing to begin to envision a whole wide range of potential solutions. What I really appreciated as well, when you're asked a question and just respond, you don't really think. Sometimes we don't take a step back and really thoughtfully consider the answer or those impacts. The fact that we have to draw in this workshop, it forced my team and and me to reflect, to really think about the issues in, I think, a deeper and more nuanced way. And even at the end of a 30 or 40 minute discussion, we left there with some concrete action items and we've followed up as a team already on a few of them. So it felt like a much more satisfying experience on multiple dimensions for us. I'm always excited to see people come into the workshop a little bit worried because Even though I say you don't need to know how to draw, they still question that. Do I need to know how to draw? Am I going to feel silly? Am I going to feel not talented? But I think by the end of it, hopefully what people have been able to experience is that drawing put them in a different space. It helped do an end run around our left brains, those critical voices that come into our heads whenever we're trying to deal with a complex topic or, or come up with solutions. And there's a reason why art therapy has become increasingly popular among psychotherapists because it actually does help people deal with difficult issues and talk about things in a different way. And so I love seeing that shift in folks by the end of the workshop that even in 60 to 90 minutes, it allows a different kind of thinking and allows people to come up with solutions because you're getting out of your head. It's interesting because I think that what some folks have said to me was that in two minutes to draw one comic, they actually were able to reflect on a lot more and it took them in different directions than an hour (laughs) might have been because of that forcing function. Yeah, so I've decided we should think of this as if Beyond Leaning In is a different kind of business book, then 
these workshops are a different kind of workshop experience. They're a different kind of training, puts you in a different mindset and allows you to examine issues in new ways. So strategic imagination, lots more to come that I know you'll be excited to share on your website through your email newsletters and other communication channels. So folks should definitely be checking out what's coming next. What else should we know, particularly this summer? What can folks do immediately to engage in the work? Well, I'm continuing to write and produce art and other media. I actually just launched a YouTube channel around gender, around DEI issues more broadly, around leadership more broadly in a time of transformation and change. Uh, it's probably too nascent right now for me to talk about all of the projects, but please folks sign up for my mailing list on my website to learn more on my mailing list. You'll also find out about my new workshops and some of the infrastructure I'm hoping to build around the workshops so that these aren't just one-time quote-unquote training sessions, but things that really help organizations shift in new ways. And my ask to listeners is really, what's on your wish list for how I can help? I love hearing from listeners of this podcast or readers of Beyond Leaning In who wanted to spark change in their lives, different ideas for informal groups that I can build around Beyond Leaning In. I've had requests from male allies. We talked in the last podcast about how 30% of this podcast listeners are men, which honestly, when I started, did not expect to be that high. So yay, all you male listeners out there, tell your friends. But I've had some requests from male listeners who've said, that they'd love to get together with other male readers of Beyond Leaning In and talk about gender equity and how they can be better allies. I've had some requests from HR business partners who have said, can you convene us as Beyond Leaning In book club? So I am just eager to hear from folks as to how I can help be a part of the conversation and, and bring others into it. Well, and Melanie, you're joining virtually book clubs across the summer. So if you are reading Beyond Leaning In or listening to the audiobook with your book club or with a group of your friends, your family, your coworkers, be sure to reach out so that Melanie, the author, can join and answer your questions live and help your team to really think through the concepts across the novel. Well, folks, we've made it to the end of season one, and we want to thank every single one of you, whether you've listened to just this one podcast or been with us for all eight. We appreciate you. We want to hear from you across the summer, and we especially want to hear your ideas for the next season. What new voices, new perspectives, new concepts can we cover? Make sure to go to the website, sign up for the email list so that we can hear from you, and we can also stay in touch as Melanie's work continues into the fall. Thank you all for listening. I'm Mel Nuho, author of Beyond Leaning In. Please buy the book on Amazon or through www.beyondleaningin.com where you can contact us and also learn more about the broader Beyond Leaning In conversation and community. This podcast is produced by Katie Sunku Wood at Studio Pod Media. Edits were made by Noda Lab. Music is by Mountain House. Please subscribe, rate, share, and get in touch with your ideas. Bye.